Hello. Hey. How's it going? Uh, it's I'm I'm sitting here in my cave. Do y'all have y'all have power, right? Yeah, we do. I think it's because we're it's one of two things. We're either it's because of Swiss Avenue or uh because of uh because we're close to Baylor. The Baylor, yeah. We 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 had it the whole time too. Um, and I think it, we're close to a school and a fire department, a fire uh yeah. I think that's maybe what um, helped. I don't know. I, I hope everyone else is okay. <laughs> like this is just one more week of pure fucking insanity. <laughs> I know. I was just texting with your wife. I was, you know, just, you know, I have a text thread with her and one of our other friends, Lydia. And um, I just, I, you know, it's like, it's not even noon yet. And is it bad that I already want booze in my coffee? No. No, no. I mean, what, 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 what are we doing at this point? Like, it's, I don't know. I think it's ridiculous that we all still have to do our little fucking stupid sending email jobs. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was happy. Well, not happy. It was a mess, but I mean, SMU on, on Monday, I mean, for, I guess everyone knows, even people who don't live here, the absolute cluster fuck that is texas this week um but smu on monday was like no we're still gonna do virtual learning and like an hour later they were like fuck this (laughs) i was supposed to start rehearsals for a project today that i'm doing at the theater center and uh not to i mean not today this week i was supposed to start on tuesday and that just like and we were supposed to start via zoom so Mm -hmm. but so many people have been displaced and yeah. or or don't have power that it just seemed like why are we why do we even care about this yeah. right now the, so l- lost a week on a project but who cares yeah <laughs> i i mean i you know there, there there's part of it like i was supposed to do a thing tuesday night thursday night with kitchen dog and part of it was like yeah people don't have power people can't get on zoom the other part was it just feels weird <laughs> to like pretend yeah. that i'm care about this show I wrote three, two years ago, three years ago, right now. Um, right. Uh, I, I want to, you know, I, we're staying strong. Cause I thought like, we thought maybe this would be a good diversion. I don't know. <laughs> um, watching these movies this week was, was, a uh, was actually really helpful for me. Right. I, you know, this is, and I've, I've said it often in the past that this doing this podcast for the two people who listen to it, <laughs> Um, is one of the things that kind of like keeps me going um, because it, it's like, it really is like nobody sponsors us, no. Michael. No, we, we do it out of the kindness of our own heart. Yeah. No, no one's giving us money. There's not really any pressure to put out an episode every week. We had, we had been for a long time. And then when everything happened last year, it was just like, people have other things to worry about. We'll yeah. put out episodes when we put out, when episodes. We put out episodes. Um, and it, but it has, it has, it has helped a lot, a lot do a, a deep dive back into the back into the the what would we call it what do you call it the the the, the, Han- the Hannibal verse <laughs> the, the Hannibal verse um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean last week um last week we we talked about Clarice the new TV show mm-hmm. uh and Silence of the Lambs yeah and this week we wanted we we're like well let's let's get back into all of it or as much as we can there are actually so many properties 
Like there's right. a fucking movie where he's a kid called Hannibal Rising that I will not watch, Christy. <laughs> yeah, no, I won't watch it. I mean, it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, like I'm a super fan of lots of things. And so I'll watch every incarnation of certain things. But it gets to a point with this stuff where you're like, who, who are we trying to now? It's just is it just fan fiction? Right. Like following the the original you know either novel or the the the, the first screenplay or whatever like I don't know and it's, yeah. it's so who cares uh, speaking of of Clarice I you know you and I did not like it no we did not we did not like it at all at all um I have a friend who is a pretty big time stage director and and now film director who is friends with the woman that co-created it oh now I feel bad he, no, no. Who's also uh, one of the writers. Um, and, um, you know, she's just been posting on It's one of those things of like, I think it's one of those things of like, let's support people doing work and whatever. And I was I was not tempted at all because I'm glad people are working. But it was like, it's so good, whatever. And I'm like, actually, it's not. But no. but I'm glad you're working. Yeah. And from what I understand, this person has co she's getting like a lot of play for co-create for co-creating like three new projects during the pandemic and i'm like cool but are they good because <laughs> one of them is terrible i can create terrible things during the pandemic too totally. i mean um, it just, just you have a famous you have famous parents and you're super privileged and rich yeah so and you're good for you, you and it's your partner get or husband is also super famous and rich and right you know, I don't so, know, whatever. Uh, again i'm glad to me great congratulations to her that's wonderful uh, i'm i'm glad that Actors who are not super famous and rich or working members of the crew like that, that stuff to me actually does right. mean something, but yeah. you know, the people who created Clarice, if it gets canceled tomorrow, they'll be fine. Yeah. They'll um, be fine. A lot of other people working on it will not, will not. So, um, right. so, so, so this week we were like, man, let's get into the Lecter verse or the Hannibal verse or whatever. And so we went back, we watched Manhunter from 1986, Red Dragon from 2002. Both of those films are adapted from Thomas Harris's novel, Red Dragon. And they're uh, almost, I mean, Michael Mann did the screenplay for Manhunter and I can't remember who did the screenplay. Ted Talley. Oh, Ted Talley. Well, there you go. But they're, I mean, I'm not going to say they're almost the exact script because they're not, but it's, it's you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, there, the are clear, there are clearly moments where both of them just take Harris's dialogue from his novel. I mean, for pages right. and pages. Um, I think when, when we get into it, I think it, it is interesting to see where they diverge. Um, and then we got super bold and we watched Hannibal, <laughs> the movie. We did. We did. And, you know, I'll tell you, it is. Okay. So how do you want to start? I have so many things to say. Um, I, I think it would be interesting if you're up for it to, to kind of compare and contrast Manhunter and Red Dragon. Sure. And yeah. then then get into Hannibal, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. definitely, but yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Uh, so Red Dragon, I mean, Manhunter, 1986, directed by Michael Mann, starring William Peterson uh-huh. as uh, Will Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Farina 
as as Jack Crawford. Like, what a choice, right? The most Chicago human being in the world. That's what Dante said. He was like, man, that guy just can't help being Chicago. It, it, it is in his blood. There's yeah. No, like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Brian Cox. Brian as Cox as, as the Hannibal first Lecter. Hannibal Lecter on screen. And Tom, um, Tom Noonan as Francis Dollarhide. Uh-huh. Joan Allen as Reba. Yeah, an uh, extremely young Joan Allen. Yeah, and it's, you know, all of those people are Steppenwolf people too. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was such a, 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 a who's who of Chicago theater, it, which, yeah. which, which was cool. It's good. I mean, they're all really good actors. Mm-hmm. And the thing to me that I'm going to point out about Manhunter is that it is so of its decade. I'm not even going to say time. Yeah. It is so of its decade. And it is, <clears throat> I don't know if you clocked Michael Mann in a little cameo appearance in there too, but he's in it. I, um, I missed that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So Michael Mann, for those of you that don't know, is a fantastic director he he, his heyday was in the 80s and he's really really famous for miami vice yeah um and you see some people from miami vice in manhunter Mm -hmm. and he michael mann definitely has an aesthetic yes and that aesthetic is the is is uh how can i put it it is art deco through an 80s lens yeah is what i'm gonna call it. that's perfect yeah, because, yeah. Because I mean, it, it, I I said I mean I wrote down I literally like while I was watching I was like this movie is a time capsule. It is. It and is. I had forgotten how because it's been a long time actually since I've seen Manhunter. Um, I forgot how just pure nineteen eighties uh, it is in its it in really its, is in its aesthetic. And I yeah. would also say in its storytelling. Yeah, I agree. And here's the thing. And you and I have talked about this before. Um, where a lot of people uh, who did not live through the 80s have a very specific idea of what the 80s looked like, right? Mm -hmm. And what people wore and all that kind of stuff. And for the most part, people think that the 80s are like uh, day glow bursts of color Mm -hmm. and big hair and... um, I don't know what else would you say like any wham video from the anyway, but yeah, we're all, yeah every woman was wearing fucking leg warmers to right anywhere she went even and when it, it was 90 degrees right <laughs> and there is some truth to that sure it's not the entire scope of 80s aesthetic um no. and there there are some really great movies from the 80s that show like a, a whole other side um and I'm like this is one of them yeah. Um, and so it's like nine and a half weeks, uh, Fatal Attraction, where it's kind of like a darker. Yeah. I mean, it, it's I mean, Aspen had never seen it. Um, she didn't, I don't think she watched it all because she had watched Red Dragon the night before. And I think it was like a little too much. Right. Um, but like when he came on, when, when you see William Peterson at, at, at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. um, and she had just seen Ed Norton in the same role. They're very the different. Dragon. And she was like, oh, oh, so he's like 80s gritty cop version. I think I, that we had a text exchange. About yeah. This. And I was like, yeah, it's exactly what Christy was, and I were texting the other night. Yeah, It is for sure. William Peterson's portrayal of Will Graham is like more gritty male uh, cop hero. It reminded me of like movies like Tequila Sunrise with Kurt Russell and Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, this- that kind of character. 
character. Just, I'm I'm damaged, and I mean, look, the character of Will Graham is extremely damaged physically and, and extremely and, damaged and, and mentally, you know, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally or whatever. Um, but he Peterson, and I think Peterson does a great job, and he is kind of does what Peterson does, which sure. is which be is, like a handsome everyman, which is what Tom Berenger does, which yeah. is what. Kurt Russell does, which is what Mel Gibson does, which yeah. is, you know, what all those guys did in the 80s. Yeah. And not no shade to any of those guys. They're awesome. I love Kurt Russell. But that was for sure the male aesthetic yeah. and, of that and, time. And I think it's, it's to me, it's very interesting to, to look at Manhunter, which is 86, and Red Dragon, which is 2002, um, not only as, like, how culturally we sort of started to shift, because uh, Ed Norton while playing the same damaged character is extremely cerebral and, and right. not the guy who can come in and just, I mean, William Peterson literally leaps through a window. It's so insane. <laughs> to save it's, the, to save the day. In it's, it's so insane. <laughs> like I had, insane. I'd forgotten about that part yeah. where, you and, know, they're, they're on their way finally. And, Dennis Freen is like, Will, you're not going to need that. You're not going to need that gun, blah, 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 blah. And he fucking leaps through a window. What's funny, though, is that Tom Noonan is a giant. Yes. He's a giant. And yeah. I love that they write it into the into the scene where Tom Noonan just kind of like holds out his, just stops him. Yeah. And kind of just throws him like a rag doll. I mean, if you get a dude who is 6'5 or whatever Noonan is, like, you got to use that. Right. Absolutely. But what, so I watched Red Dragon first this time around. And I was like, if you had seen Ed Norton's version of Will Graham leap through a window, no. it would have been the most laughable, ridiculous thing. Right. But in Manhunter, you're like, yeah, man. Makes sense. Yeah, it totally <laughs> makes sense. Because I think I, I, I texted you about it. Yeah, I did. And I said, you know, it's it's the the 80s male thing versus kind of like i want to call it post grunge for some reason yeah i mean like this cerebral post grunge post kurt cobain which is i think ed norton is when he was younger is is the perfect embodiment of that i mean even in fucking fight club which I don't want to talk about Fight Club. I have a lot of issues with Fight Club. There's one rule about Fight Club. <laughs> Thank you. You're you're not sorry, Christy. I'm going to talk about Fight Club. Um, but, you know, Norton offsets this sort of like alpha male right. ridiculousness of Brad Pitt in that film. Norton is the thinking man's, like, like you said, post-grunge. He's right. a very late 90s hero. Right, right. Um, He's a, obviously like he's a good looking guy because it's Hollywood, but he's not Brad Pitt where it's. He's a good looking guy. He was his girlfriend was Selma Hayek at some point. That is so, absurd. You know, that dude has to have something. Yeah, man. Congratulations, Ed Norton Retro, you know, like <laughs> retrospectively. Um, so, yeah, I thought that that's such an interesting dichotomy of just looking at Will Graham, you know, how it's treated, how he's treated in um, Manhunter and how he's treated in Red Dragon. Right. There's also, a, there's, I just want to say there's like sure. there's a there's an acting exercise that I do with my students sometimes, and it's called the three D's. And it's everybody knows it. it discovery, decision, disclosure. Right. And it's just an exercise where you take a monologue and you commit to doing every single line as though it were a discovery. You commit to doing every single line as it were a decision. Right. Um, and I was as, as I was watching both of these guys, I thought, oh, man, William Peterson, every single line is a decision. Every single line, he's making a decision. Mm-hmm. And 
And Edward Norton, he's making a discovery. Yeah. Every single time. Like it's that's, he he doesn't know that he knows the thing. Yeah, that's like a perfect summation. Um, and 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 William Peterson fucks his wife multiple times. <laughs> well, this is something that I wanted to ask you about because we started to have this discussion last night, and it was very late, and I had had two cocktails. Um, so I did notice that there is a lot in both Silence of the Lambs and in Red Dragon slash Manhunter, same story, there's, there are themes of looking and being looked at, right? Mm -hmm. And and Will Graham, his thing, for those of you that don't know, Will Graham, the, the, his whole character arc is that he's, a, he's an FBI profiler. He's really, really good at getting into the mind of the serial killer. Yeah. Too good. Too good. Yeah. And that and that's why he's damaged. Mm -hmm. Because the last time he did it, he he missed it entirely because he was so kind of like in in sync with it or whatever. Yeah. And he Graham's thing, just to tie it into all of this, is he caught he's the one who caught Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. But he almost died doing it. He almost Lecter died. Fucked yeah. him up. <laughs> right. Got in his head and like, you know lived there for a little, the thing that we don't learn in Manhunter that we do learn in Red Dragon is that after he catches Lecter, he has to be put away. Well, we learn it in Manhunter to some extent. And it's just like, in a very different, much yeah, later. Yeah. He has to go be in a hospital yeah. be, and, and get lots of therapy. And it takes a lot of time for him to get better because he can't get out of that mindset of thinking yeah. like a fucking serial killer. And this is the case that, I mean, literally pulls him back in. They they come right. to him and say, you know, basically the classic, you're the best in the goddamn biz, Will. You got to save pull lives. pull me back in, right? Um, so at the, at the beginning of Manhunter slash Red Dragon, we see him at his home. He now lives in the Florida Keys with his yeah. wife and son. He is not with the FBI anymore. He doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't want any part of it. Right. So, yes, go on. But but you well, you had said, though, be, like we see it in Will and then we see it in Silence of the Lambs. We see it through Dollarhide. Um, this idea of, of 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 almost like voyeurism of watching right. of watching and, and hiding from being seen. Um, right. And it, in Manhunter, we see more of like William Peterson. There are scenes of William Peterson like dream dreaming or like thinking yeah. about his wife and it mirrors very much the same way that say dollar hide would look at yes. a woman, which makes it really creepy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, I think that's the most interesting aspect of, especially in Manhunter of, of the character of Will Graham. Um, I don't find Will Graham. I know there's a, and I don't want to, I'm not even trying to start an argument. Uh, there seems to be, it seems to be very hip right now to uh, say Manhunter is a better film than Silence of the Lambs. Um, it's not. I, it's, I'm sorry. It's, it's not. And, and, and a huge part of that is um, I don't think Will Graham is nearly as interesting as Clarice Starling right. um, as a protagonist. Um, that's nothing against William Pearson. I don't look. I mean, I think there's also something to be said that this is this is. Harris wrote this novel before and he got better. And right. so just Silence like of the Lambs. Just like serial killers. Yes, just like serial they killers. Get, to be fair Lambs. though, and I agree with you, like I don't think it's better, but to be fair, you have you really like 
interesting female protagonists. I like, do. You and, have and, a tendency to like female yeah, protagonists. Yeah, I think interesting. Yeah. I have I have often said in interviews, Christy, because mm-hmm. that's very important. Um, to me, drama comes from conflict and obstacle. And most often, if you start with a complex female character, not some fucking random stereotype, she inherently has to deal with more obstacles in the world because women inherently have to, at least in America, and I'm sure everywhere, inherently have to deal with more obstacles, not because of anything they lack, but because of how fucked up society is. Yeah. So you see Clarice have to deal with so many fucking things, right? Mm -hmm. And all Will is dealing with, not to undercut it, is his own goddamn psyche. Right. Um, This is a man who can leap through a fucking window (laughs) to save the day. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Right. That to me is not nearly as interesting as... Clarice. Mm-hmm. I, I will also say, and I wrote this down, and look, I think Manhunter is a great movie, and it's early, it's in the 80s. I think Silence of the Lambs is timeless, and I think Manhunter, like we've already said, is right. is, 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 is trapped, in, or not even trapped, but is representative of its of its decade. Yeah, that's the difference. That I mean, that's that's the that's the big difference to me. That that yeah, you can't watch Manhunter without going, oh, 80s. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and some of the things are, are the aesthetic. And then some of the things are stuff you and I joke about a lot because we always come off as being prude. Like, I don't <laughs> need to see him have sex with his wife three times for four minutes. I don't through, need it. Through a blue filter. Yeah. it de- Through a blue filter. It does nothing. It does nothing to move right. the plot forward. Yeah. Um, I know they have a good relationship. I know right. the same stuff we always say. We know what happens. When they when they kiss and fall into bed, we know what happens. Fucking cut and move on. Right. Um, we got to see how hot she is, though. Yeah, she's very attractive. Um, weird that movie stars are very attractive. But I, I think another really interesting thing that that just the sort of like book nerd in me got excited about is to look at Manhunter and, and Red Dragon as two how different even though they have a lot of similarities, um, adaptation can be, mm-hmm. especially when the two adaptations have very different purposes they have to serve. Because Manhunter comes out in 86, doesn't use the title of the novel. I found out because they were worried Red Dragon, they would think it was a Kung Fu movie. Oh. Um, so they were worried marketing wise. Well, to be fair, when you look up Red Dragon on Prime, a bunch of Kung Fu movies sure. come up <laughs> yeah. along with Red Dragon. Totally makes sense. But I actually think Manhunter as a title sums this movie up. It is about Will Graham. Right. He, the, Michael Mann doesn't, have, doesn't owe anybody Hannibal Lecter at all. And Lecter is very much an interesting side character in this film. (laughs) Brian Cox is great. I love Brian Cox. He's a brilliant actor. But Lecter is very much a side player. I think Cox gets like seventh billing in this film, by the way. Right. And oddly, Dollarhide is not... Yeah, exactly. Dollarhide, I wrote this down, shows up almost 58 minutes into the film. Right. So... Because Manhunter gets to be its own movie. It is a standalone movie. And Michael Mann chooses to make it about a damaged FBI agent getting back in the game, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? Red Dragon has to function as a prequel to Silence of the Lambs. Right. 
We don't have Clarice Starling, the protagonist we know and love. So they have to give their audience enough Hannibal Lecter to make this connect to the movie that led us all into the audience in the first place. Right. And so we get a Lecter prologue. We get a Lecter epilogue um, mixed in with the scenes in the actual narrative. And so... Also, I think because we don't have Clarice and we have no investment in Will Graham, Dollarhide becomes the central figure of Red Dragon. Right. And that even in the title, he is the Red Dragon yeah. as opposed to being the Manhunter. And I right. just found all of that fascinating. Yeah. Um, I don't and I don't know. I guess. Yeah. And it, it is all in the title because watching Manhunter I'm not, and no shade to Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan is amazing in the movie but he doesn't get a lot of play right no and i and i don't i don't need it i don't need it in 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 manhunter no i actually thought and i wrote this down and again i'm not i love manhunter i just i feel very protective of silence of the lambs for some reason these last two weeks um i don't think look i don't think red i think red dragon has problems i love it but i think it has issues i think there's too much story Mm -hmm. but i don't think the dollar hide relationship with Reba makes a lick of fucking sense in Manhunter. And I think it makes absolute sense in Red Dragon. Right. And it's because in Red Dragon, they established Dollar Hyde almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Like we get prologue, we get a little Ed Norton, um, we get like Lecter prologue, Ed Norton, and then we meet Dollar Hyde and we know a lot about his past. Uh-huh. Um, dude, they cast Ray Fiennes like coming off of Schindler's list, like that dude is the central figure of this movie. Right. Um, It's not in my mind, Will Grant. Right. And so when he meets Reba, who is played by the genius that is Emily Watson. Right. I actually am invested in that relationship. Right. You see for two seconds how, well, I mean, no, he can't be fixed. But you see for two seconds how he really it, and, and you're sympathetic for him a little bit. I agree that, that he wants to be normal, that yeah. he, he is really, really, really trying. I love the scene. I love the scene when they're in the in the Chromalux studio and she goes, the, the, what I hate more than pity is fake pity. <laughs> and he says to her. I have no pity. I have no pity. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think it goes back, you you know, to wrap around to what you were saying about this idea of watching and being watched. I think in Ray Fiennes' Dollar Hide, again, this isn't on, I'm not putting this on Noonan. I'm putting it on, it's just a different film. Mm-hmm. You understand sort of this like deep embedded shame. Right that dollar hide feels one because of his physical appearance that he can do nothing about. Um, and two, what his, I guess, grandmother, what his grandmother did to, did him. to him. It's, um, and it's, it's so funny because I have questions. So like, we've already talked about how Manhunter is a time capsule to the eighties. Um, it, it, I, I, while I was, I was watching it again the other day, of course. And I, I was thinking Colleen Atwood, who's like a fucking incredible, like, Oscar winning costume designer. Like the Mm -hmm. woman is a fucking genius. Um, We had one of her costumes in our Dracula. It was Um, the most amazing costume I've ever seen on stage. Right. Um, Truly. I mean, just. Yeah, truly. It was incredible. Unbelievable. And uh, we, we had, we had access to that. So we used it, but 
she made some very interesting choices for Francis Dollarhide in Manhunter that make no sense to who the character is. I agree. And I even, I was like, is this like a Michael Mann thing? Like he was like, I want Dollar High. Listen to me. <laughs> Listen, Colleen. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Colleen. Michael Mann talks. <laughs> In my mind, Dollar High shops at Oak Tree or like yes, something totally. like that. It's so bizarre. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You're it doesn't right. make sense because this is a man who doesn't want to be seen. Right. This is a man who wants to remain invisible. This is a man who you know, does not want anyone to look at him. And so yet, much so that the only person he can connect with is a blind woman. Right. I mean, but like, he wears, that's not... He wears all these, like, flashy 80s clothes from the merry-go-round. Like, it's yeah, so weird. It's so strange. Um, so, yeah, I thought that that aspect of, to me, in Manhunter was was strange. I just didn't think that relationship made a lot of sense. It happened right. so fast. We meet Dollar Hyde so late. Um, I also thought like in this again, nothing against the actor. I think this just is a, a testament to the 80s. The the difference between how Freddie Lowndes is portrayed, uh, the reporter in Manhunter, uh, who is a theater actor named Stephen Lang. It's a really good theater actor. He's a fantastic. Versus how Philip Seymour Hoffman plays it. <laughs> We're in two utterly different worlds. Yes. I mean, and and I think that along the lines of how Graham is portrayed, uh, how Will Graham is portrayed, just really defines, I don't know, I guess just how film changed or or, or, or something. In how the culture, culture. Culture, yeah. Yeah, but like the, not just the, the, the reporter, but the other co-worker at the film developing thing, uh, the, the he, in Manhunter, he's just kind of a friend of, of Reba's. Yes. He doesn't have any romantic interest in her. He's the guy that gives her a ride home because yeah. she's blind. So he gives her a ride home. And but in Red Dragon, he's just like this sleazy asshole who wants to get in her pants. Yeah, you know? exactly. Who um, wants to, he is sort of the definition of fake pity. Right. He gives fake pity because he wants to fuck her. Right. Um and, and yeah, I, again, like, look, Joan Allen's a great actor. I don't, she just doesn't have as much. Emily Watson to me is like really sort of heartbreaking in yeah. Red Dragon. And she ends up being the thing that allows Graham to come to terms with his own damage. He says to her, there's something wrong with him. There's right. nothing wrong with you. Right. And that is what he's been dealing with. What, what's wrong with me that, that Lecter came after me? And right. it takes Emily Watson, it takes Reba, I think, for mm -hmm. him to realize that. Yeah. Um, that said, I think Red Dragon has its own set of issues. I love it. Um, but there's a lot of story going on. We're yes. following a lot of, like, because we have to deal with Lecter. Um, we got, yeah, we got a lot going on. I mean, we have him eating the, painting of William Blake and all yeah. that. Yeah. Everybody, like, I think people wanted to, it's, you know, uh, Silence of the Lambs is, 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 is timeless. Yeah. And, and no matter what you think of it now or what you thought of it, then people have been talking about it for 30 years and writing uh -huh. about it. <laughs> and, and so people had to live up to it, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes in an effort to live up to something that is so great, I think people put too much. Too much. Think more is more. 
Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes less is more. When you look at Silence of the Lambs, it's not super complicated. No, no. And I, I think there's something. And, and again, I mean, all these movies have to have different things they have to try to accomplish. I think Silence of the Lambs one, like I've already said, I think Clarice is by far the, the most interesting protagonist in all these movies. Two, I think Silence of the Lambs is the exact perfect amount of Hannibal Lecter. Right. Um, I actually don't think he's in Manhunter enough. I don't think he's that interesting in Manhunter. That's, yeah. I think Brian Cox is interesting because he's Brian Cox. Right. I don't think Hannibal Lecter is interesting. And right. I don't think how man sets him up is interesting. Yeah, I um, agree. I agree completely. Um, I wonder if Brian Cox watched Silence of the Lambs and went like, dang. Motherfucker, and he called up Tony and he was like, what the fuck? What <laughs> I'm the sure fuck? they know each other, right? Okay, so can we talk about, oh, I'm sure. Can we talk about Harvey Keitel? As, oh, shit, as yes. Jack Crawford, who's great. Yeah. Great. So we've, we've got three incredible actors playing Jack Crawford yeah. over Dennis Farina, Harvey Keitel, and, and Scott Glenn. Glenn. Uh-huh. Who, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite uh, uh, Crawford? So, so, oh, man, that's tough. I actually think, I think Keitel is, is it, I think that's the most interesting Crawford as a character. Mm -hmm. um, he plays, I think, a much more sort of like cool role in Red Dragon. Mm -hmm. um, I, I fucking love Kaitel, man. I know. That, I, I said Scott Glenn is perfect. <laughs> yeah, Scott Glenn's pretty great. Yeah. Um, the same actor who plays Dr. Chilton in Silence of the Lambs comes mm -hmm. back and plays Dr. Chilton. Isn't, and, isn't it a strange thing in Manhunter that Chilton's not a total fucking asshole? Yeah. He's just like a doctor. He's just a doctor. He makes but, a couple phone calls. Yeah. Chilton's, but Chilton's got to be like an asshole. Yeah, he's an asshole. Right? He's yeah. got to be an asshole. Did you know that the actor who plays Barney is the only actor who is in every single incarnation of this universe, including Manhunter? That, yes, because he plays a cop in Manhunter. Yeah. Yeah, that is fantastic. When I started Hannibal, because I, I watched Hannibal last. Um, I watched it last night. And um, dude, man, it opens on my man, Barney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It totally does. And it, it was like, oh, because before watching Hannibal, we had been talking about Barney. We had uh -huh. been like, I like to think that Hannibal had a good relationship with, mm -hmm. with, with Barney. And yeah. It, and it's then in Hannibal, he's like, yeah, we talked. We got totally, along. Totally proven. But okay, so just a little bit rewind back to Red Dragon and Manhunter. They're both good movies. Mm -hmm. They're both th 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 pretty much the same story, but told through very different lenses, yes. right? Um, one is totally the eighties and one is a little, has to be a little bit more in line with Silence of the Lambs. So it's a little bit more timeless. Yeah. I, I guess. What, okay. So, now I have a question for you about Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs before we head over to Hannibal. Okay. Silence of the Lambs lives squarely in horror thriller. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same way about Red Dragon? Do you think that Red Dragon lives in the horror genre as much as Silence does? No. Or do you think it lives more in the suspense thriller? I, that's a great point. I think it lives much more in the suspense thriller. Um, the, the murders that um, Dollar Hyde commits in the course of the film are not, look, I'm not saying murder isn't horrific. Right. <laughs> They're, other than Freddy, 
which is, which is a very sort of horror kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I love. I mean, the, yeah. what an insane fucking thing. Yeah. Other stuff is like him just shooting people. Yeah. Um, and we don't really get to see what he does to Mrs. Leeds and Mrs. Jacobi. No, that's the thing. To me, the horror happened. The true horror of Red Dragon happened before. Right. Um, we don't see like those. Th- th- yeah, those those murders that would would live in like truly the horror universe. Right. Um, it seems much more suspenseful. I mean, I think the fact that we get so much of Dollar Hyde's life outside of him being a killer. Um, yeah, I think it lives m- much more in the 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 suspense thriller world. Um, and I maybe we'll use this as a segue. What fucking world does Hannibal live in? <laughs> I have decided. I'm glad you asked me, Michael, because I feel that Hannibal lives in the genre of Grand Guignol opera. I, I think that is dead on. For anyone who doesn't know, can you give just like a brief? Yes. Grand Guignol is was a movement in theater in the 19th century that started in France. Um, and it means literally big puppet. Um, I don't know why that it's called big puppet, but it means big puppet. But the, the defining element of Grand Guignol was that it was horror on stage, horror for horror's sake. Like story did not matter. Plot did not matter. Acting did not matter. Mm. You went to see Grand Guignol to see horrific things mm-hmm. happen on stage. Like an example that I can give, even though it's not Grand Guignol, is something like Titus Andronicus, <clears throat> where you would go see this play to see people's limbs get chopped off, yeah. to see people's heads, to see blood. So yeah. Grand Guignol is the horror movies of the 19th century. Century, And yeah, if you have seen Interview with the Vampire or read Interview with the Vampire, right. Ian Rice does a really nice nod to it when they go to France. Le Théâtre de la Vampire yes. or whatever. And, and that is, I think, a, a nod to, oh, totally. To that, to that era. Absolutely. Um, I think you're right. I mean, Hannibal, holy shit, man. <laughs> There's so much happening. The, and, okay, like in the first time I saw it, I was like, this is ridiculous. I know. I just like it's 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 almost confusing and overwhelming. Like it's 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 pretty to look at. Sure. It's beautiful to look at. I mean, who doesn't like scenic Italy? <laughs> Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like I always want to see things that happen in Italy. You know, the Duomo, it's going to look awesome. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Beautiful scenes of being at the opera. What Mm -hmm. is happening? Who the fuck cares? Who knows? Uh, Yeah. I mean, beautiful. Let me tell you, like where where uh, what's his name lives? uh, Verger, uh, Mason Verger. Mason Verger. um, Who's played. Talk about Grand Guignol performance. Oh my, I, like, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman plays. Okay, so Hannibal takes place after. Uh, ten years after Silence of the Lambs. Ten years Silence of the Lambs. Lambs. And we meet a character named Mason Verger, mm-hmm. who is one of the victims of Hannibal Lecter who lived. Yes. And he had been one of Lecter's patients. And in a horrible partying accident let's call it uh, Hannibal Lecter encourages him to slice his own face off yes yes and he does and uh-huh. the, I have to say the makeup is great fantastic the makeup 
is fantastic. And if you didn't know it was Oldman, you wouldn't know it was Oldman. No, and I didn't realize this. When it was theatrically released, he was not credited. Oh, man. He wasn't credited until it came out on VHS or DVD. Um, Oldman says that was the plan because it made it more like, what the fuck? That's Gary Oldman. Others say it's because Oldman was being a dick about billing. Who knows? Either could be true. Yeah. But you would have no fucking clue that that was Gary Oldman. And it is a tour de force, like powerhouse, overindulgent spectacle of a performance. Mr. Cardell. (laughs) I love it. Don't get me wrong. I totally love it. It makes Hannibal Lecter look like the most subtle <laughs> like, characterization you've ever seen. And this character is super rich and he lives in a castle. Some Is it in West Virginia? Yeah, or something like somewhere? that. So it's like, I love movies that have Italy, that have senseless opera scenes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And any time that we have like an American Gothic castle in beauty, in the beautiful mountains of West Virginia and Kentucky, I fucking love all that stuff. Yeah. Um, does it all go together? No, I mean it. it oh, man, and I've seen Hannibal a few times, but it had been a while. It is such a weird mashup of things, and so for for Giancarlo anyone, Giancarlo Giannini. Yeah, man, Giancarlo Giannini. Giannini, who I texted you. This motherfucker's hair is so on point. It makes me jealous. And I say that as someone who has pretty good hair. But can I say something that really bothers? Okay, first, real quick. For those who don't know, Hannibal is 2001. It is directed by Ridley Scott. It is written by Steve Zalian. And (laughs) also inspired by or taken from a version of the script that David Mamet wrote that never got produced. So Mamet wrote a version of Hannibal that apparently had a much more complex Clarice Starling. I'm sure. It never got made, but apparently Zalian and Ridley Scott used enough of, or I don't even enough of, at least something from Mamet's script that Uh Mamet still gets screenwriting credit. Oh, Um, wow. Steven Zalian wrote Schindler's List. I mean, he's a fucking famous writer too. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, all of the people who worked on it are incredible People, it's yeah. just a lot. It's like, like no, it's like no one was there to say no. Right, exactly. And just, you know, Julianne Moore, Jodie Foster does not come back to play Clarice. She had problems with the script. And she yeah. did not she did not like what they were doing to the character of Clarice in this script. I agree with her, Christy. I agree with her too. <laughs> and so Julianne Moore steps in and does a good job. Sure. She's, she's Julianne Moore. But it's it's a different Clarice. Yeah, and not nearly as interesting. No. Um, I mean, she. I read one review, and, and it said it, it. It's she's reduced to the woman who knows a lot about Lecter instead of this really like you know the woman we see in, in this really great smart uh, hard work. All of the things from Silence of the Lambs. She she falls into this because like she knows Lecter well. Right, and like. Nothing against Julianne Moore. I love her. We've talked about this. Nobody hates Julianne Moore. She's great. Right. But she is bigger in stature, taller than than Jodie Foster. She, I mean, she is one of those actresses that on screen appears like an Amazon. 
I mean, right. in my in my opinion, she's, probably, in real life, she's probably like five seven or something. But yes, yeah, she's significantly yeah, but even tall. five seven is tall for for yeah. a Hollywood actress. And there's something about Jodie Foster's stature appearing like she appears small. All of those things that Jonathan Demi did to ensure that Clarice, that Jodie Foster, and as Clarice appears small in this world of men, yeah. is undone in this. In this movie, and I get it. Like she's more experienced now. Sure, it's been what is it? Ten years has it been ten years. Yeah, in the movie, it's been ten years since all this happened. So she has more experience and all that stuff. But I can't. I can't imagine that her character would have changed that much. No, it's so funny too. And I caught something I never would have caught it if you hadn't brought it up when we were talking about Silence of the Lambs. But you brought up like a very specific choice Demi made when Jodie Foster, uh, when we meet Clarice when she's running, right? Mm -hmm. And you made a point. She's in like old school sweats. You were even like, we were like, we had shorts in the 90s. Right. Lycra. And when Julianne Moore is running and training, she is in like tight, Lycra shorts right. or spandex, whatever they are. I don't know about clothes, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's tighter. Like they have definitely, um, they've definitely sec- sexualized her more. Yeah. And I, I'm, I, Michael, I don't know what's feminist or not feminist or anti-feminist anymore. Like, I don't know what I can say that's not going to get me in trouble anymore. Sure. Because absolutely women are allowed to wear whatever the fuck they want to wear. And if, if, if someone wants to run naked through the park, they should run naked through the park right. and no, yeah. nobody has the right to go and touch them. But that's the, in life, right? Mm-hmm. On, on film, every choice you make says something. Yeah. Every choice you make says something. So mm-hmm. to take a character like Clarice in Silence of the Lambs, who is kind of hiding, kind of trying to hide her femininity, right? Mm-hmm. So that she can get ahead in this world of men. And then to completely flip it in Hannibal and make her somebody who is, I mean, they go as far as to like put her in this like dress that Hannibal Lecter buys for her yeah, we- with these Gucci heels and completely sexualizes her, which is not what Hannibal Lecter liked about Clarice. I know. And I think that's, that's the, like, I think there was a way to, like you said, she is 10 years ex- more experienced now. She, obviously this woman would have changed and grown in some way. But sure. to make it to make it that, um, and to, to completely undercut the connection that the two of them had and turned it into put the hot redhead in the hot dress, like that's just bizarre to me. Yeah, it was really bizarre. Um, and and I, I wrote down, and I don't even know if this makes sense, I said, this movie is all of Ridley Scott's worst tendencies in a single <laughs> film. Um, because look, he's a fucking genius. Like, I, It's true. But he's also sometimes fucking terrible. Right, right. I mean, Alien is a brilliant film. Uh, Prometheus is a goddamn mess. Like, I never, I, I never want to talk about Prometheus. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I think, you know, there's, there are things that, that Ridley Scott, um, loves to do as a director and this it was like yeah like no one said no and so he just all of the like worst impulses of ridley scott are like on display in this yeah let's do more let's Let's do do more more. let's make it let's make it bigger (laughs) i mean good lord and like another thing that bothered me and this just seems lazy and i get that it's 2001 and it's a different time but like this is a movie essentially about 
It starts in America. It is about an American character, all of this stuff, or Lecter, whatever he is, right? Um, it is not about Italians, right? No. It's not an American film about Italians. The fact that you have a police office filled with Italian cops speaking only to other Italian cops, speaking in English, drives me fucking <laughs> crazy. You cast... God damn, dude, I looked up. Giannini speaks like five languages. Right. Like you, you cast one of the greatest Italian actors. Yeah, and you cast all Italians around him, um, which great. I'm glad about that. Why on earth in the like couple of scenes can they not be speaking in Italian and subtitle it? Why is right. this man speaking to his wife in English? His smoking hot Italian wife. Why do you do you do you think that we needed that story as much of that storyline no. that we got that we we need to know like that we needed to know why he wanted the 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 the, the opera tickets the opera tickets like that that's why he turns Hannibal that's why he turns Hannibal Lecter in because he needs to buy his smoking hot young Italian wife expensive <laughs> opera tickets because one time she said. I don't want to sit in the back row. <laughs> right. No back row. Uh, like, no back row. Come on. Like, uh, dude, he, dude, he has an equal part to Starling in this film. Right. I, I mean, he is in this fucking, and I look, I love him. He is an incredible actor. With I know. The beautiful, hair. beautiful Italian scenes. Dude, he doesn't die till over an hour into this film. I just don't know if we needed to know why he wanted to turn in <laughs> Hannibal Lecter no. for that. I mean, I would think I would think that a three million dollar prize bounty uh -huh. is enough. Yeah. For anybody to go like, I'm going to turn this guy in. Yeah. I'm right? going to turn or, also, also whatever. I'm a, I'm a cop and maybe I can actually do it. Um, yeah. Three million is going to buy you a lot of fucking opera tickets, man. Um, like, yeah, it's just, it's so strange. Um, it's such a strange movie. And it's a great yes. death though. It's a great death. Oh, his death is incredible and very incredible. Italian. So yeah. Super. They fucking killed Mussolini. Um, but, uh, <laughs> or that whole backstory about him, his ancestors having killed one of the Medici's and yes. like, like, why do we need to know right. this? And if, and if we are going to know all this, why is Clarice Starling in this movie? Like, just make the movie, make your your cop the Italian guy, you know? <laughs> um, and so like, much. there's so much going on. And then another thing I wrote is... Um, I, I go back to saying I think Silence of the Lambs has the perfect amount of Lecter. Um, I don't think Manhunter has enough Lecter. And I think Hannibal has way too much Lecter. Too much Lecter. He's not nearly as interesting when he's not in a cage. You well, know? He, yeah, here's the thing, though. And this is the sad thing, right? This is this is the sad thing that happened initially with Silence of the Lambs, right? And it it in that I think... To some people, Silence of the Lambs was all about Lecter right. because Hopkins, just he does give a super, super, super compelling performance in very few minutes. Right. Right. Um, and so to, to people not clocking Clarice's journey. Right. They're like, oh, that movie, all they remember is Hannibal Lecter. Right. That's all they remember because for whatever reason. And so the Clarice thing is forgotten. And so in the next iteration, it's like, oh, well, people want more Hannibal Lecter. 
Let's right. give them more Hannibal Lecter, mistakenly thinking that that was the interesting part of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that's a great and point. It's, and, 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 it's, and it's not. It's not. And so you have a completely diminished arc for Clarice mm-hmm. um, and an overly, it's not even, I don't even know if it's an arc. We just, we just have so much Hannibal. It's fucking Grand Guignol Opera. Yeah, man. Yes. And, and like... The monster is interesting, but only to a point. But who's the monster? <laughs> like, is it like is it Lecter or is it Mason Virtues? Or, or, yeah. or is or is it Ray Liotta? Ray Liotta. Oh God! No matter how many times I see this, okay. So we talked about it last time. Ray Liotta's character in Hannibal is the same character who is her boss in Clarice. Correct. Um, and I can't remember his name. I can't because it doesn't matter, (laughs) but he's basically a fucking asshole. He is an asshole and, and he gets his comeuppance in Hannibal. Wouldn't you say? (laughs) (laughs) My God, dude. In the most ridiculous grand guignol (laughs) way imaginable. I mean, I was sitting there and I've seen it. I don't know how many times Dante had never seen it. And he likes making fun of Ray Liotta because who doesn't? You oh, this is, that's a great pastime. Yeah. And uh, we're sitting there and he's like, oh, no, is Ray Liotta going to is he going to eat Ray Liotta? He, isn't this the, like I think he said, like, this is where they eat Ray Liotta's brain. It's so disgusting. And I just turned to look at him and I said, you haven't seen this? And he goes, no. And I'm like. Oh, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. And the moment it happens, I turned back to look at Dante and he was like recoiling. Yeah. He was like, I can't watch that again. And I'm like, no, we're not going to make you. It might it, it might be the most over the top thing in like a really sort of like mainstream. Oh, my God. Michael, I'm gagging just yeah. thinking about it. And like also, Look, he's a total asshole, right? Like, he's a terrible fucking asshole. But do I care enough about this character to, like, have to get to this part? Like, that, this one scene in Hannibal is more gag-inducing than all of the Saw movies put together. Yeah. I guess that's an achievement. Sure. I, I just don't. It's just so straight. Like, just across the board, the movie is so... And his Zara. performance, his performance during Leota. Yeah, it's it's just what is yeah, happening can you imagine, in the world? Like, do you think he was like, <laughs> like, really thinking through the process of like, well, what would happen? <laughs> We're not talking about it because we don't want to give it away in case. No, you if you haven't seen it, it's, it's. I mean, it's just for that scene alone. It is that, a highlight. And, Every time Gary Oldman shows up on screen. So like for those things, if you want to see like a really kind of like high camp kabuki <laughs> Grand Guignol opera. Yeah. Hannibal's the film for you. Yeah. I think that's a good way to, uh, yeah. It's like, and I would put it in the, in the, you know, in the same way that I think that nobody directed Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest. So it turned into like a really strange kabuki High camp performance. I think Hannibal is like high camp kabuki grand guignol opera. Yeah. That's invented a a new genre. It's a great description, though. And maybe the only way that film can be described. Right. Um, I, yeah, it's. uh, And the pigs. Let's not forget the pigs. The fucking. Oh, God. The fucking pigs. (laughs) 
I just don't know. Now, now having said all this about Hannibal, will you watch it again at some point? Oh, absolutely. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. And I will say this. I I kind of wanted a, a, a movie just about the Italian detective. Like I'm, I'm, I'm way into like... It doesn't make any sense in this film, but I, let's let's explore his relationship. Let's explore that track. And if it takes place in Italy, more power. Yeah, yeah. I uh, it's I, I kept clocking like, oh, Italian scenic Italian things. I love this. Yeah. Oh, I, a, a castle in West Virginia. I love this. You think at one point Ridley Scott was like calling Zalian on the phone when he was writing the screenplay. He's like, really want to hang out in Italy. And he was like, great. <laughs> let's, like, let's do it. We'll be there for weeks, Ridley. <laughs> oh my God. It's incredible. I need some really sexy high fashion. Get me Gucci. <laughs> so fucking weird. <sighs> oh man. And so, okay. So we have covered quite a bit. For those of you who want to go further into the Hannibal verse, you know, there is the television show Hannibal with, uh, is it Mads Mikkelsen as as Hannibal, Mm -hmm. where he's younger. It's like, you know, before he got caught. Um, Like I said, there's this horrible looking movie called Hannibal Rising Mm -hmm. um, in which he is like a teenager or some shit that I won't watch. Yeah, Uh, I don't want to watch it. No, me neither. Uh, Anthony Hopkins... (laughs) has said, I don't know if this is true, but he has said that he has a screenplay <laughs> about the character. Huh. So like we might get something um we might get something else. I don't know. The, he's the, a he's a real weirdo. I, I don't you follow him on Instagram? Oh yeah Hopkins. Yeah he's so strange. Super strange. And also like living his best life. So more right. power to him. Um so I don't I don't know that that will ever I think this will be a, a character that keeps coming back. Part of the strangest thing is is the rights. I don't know if you caught this. This is so quick. His name is spelled differently in Man. Yeah. Because yeah. they couldn't use the, the right. I mean that like, like they spell a, it L-E-K-T-O-R. Yeah. And and for whatever bizarre rights things that, that exist with this character, I think Harris or whoever is in charge must have realized early on. Um this one character will make me a shit ton of money. Right. Uh, or whoever. Dino, actually, I think it's Dino De Laurentiis. I think bought <clears throat> the character. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, De, Laurenti- De Laurentiis is one of my heroes. So, yeah, and I mean, Hannibal, like, that is like, <laughs> De Laurentiis film. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's quite a bit out there. Um, I, you know, I think. Opinions I, vary. Opinions vary. Uh, yeah. I come back to at the end of the day, though. Um, for me, it's not even really close. I think Silence of the Lambs is is the best is one. far superior. I think Manhunter is, is a great film in and of itself. But I just. Yeah, it's just Silence of the Lambs is on another level. That's what I, I, I that's where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, Chachi can yell at me or whatever. Whoever it is. is um, yeah. Totally maybe. on another level. Uh, yeah. That, what that What's that dude's problem? He's trying to stop us from hating shit. He's he, from Houston, Christy. And he's such a fucking hater. He's a hater. And I'm like, why are you, why, like, nobody's even talking to you. <laughs> why are you coming on to mine and Michael's conversations, criticizing us because we're hating on shit? Go <laughs> hate your I'm own shit. shit. Oh, yeah. I miss him. I miss him so shit. much. I miss I everyone. Um, man, what do we do? I, we'll figure something well, out. We, we will, but I do need to say to you that I watched a movie, first of all, okay, 
I watched a movie called uh, Anything for Jackson. Oh, right. You texted me about that. I think you need to watch it. And I okay. think we need to talk about it. Yeah, let's do that next. It's on Shutter. Yeah. It is on, it, I found it on Prime, but I think okay. it's a Shutter movie. Uh, you know how Prime crosses over with yeah, that, all yeah. of those. Um, it's a Canadian film. Oh, and right. uh, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I really, really, really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, let's watch, let's, let's, let's watch any- it and then tell me if you want to watch something else in concert with it or okay. whatever. Okay. Um, but- maybe, maybe we, we can do this after that. We'll figure it out. But I also really want to watch Possessor, which is a Canadian film as well. It's uh, oh. David Cronenberg's son. Oh. So there's been, it's going to be okay. gross, I'm sure. All right. I will watch Possessor. Since I've already seen anything for Jackson, um, cool. I think you're going to yeah. like it. Have you had tacos? Did you have tacos today? So or, or? Before this is, I meant to bring this up. So before the, the, the great ice storm, um, I did. We got tacos Imas delivered. Oh. And um, you remember, of course you remember. So, you know, when you go to tacos Imas, it has the like very helpful pictorial uh-huh. of how hot the salsas are. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have that when you order online. <laughs> So oh no! They were not. It was great, um, but like they were not playing spicy salsa wise. But it was delicious, and I'm very excited about this. Um, I drove by La Pasadita, uh, which is the place by my house, and they are they're still going strong because I was oh, good. worried. Um, but also a fruteria uh, is. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, is is opening next door? Oof. I think when the shit clears up. So that's exciting. I bet your, your wife is excited about that. Yeah, she is very excited. Yeah. I made tacos yesterday morning for breakfast and it was just like, just, you know, fried up some bacon, fried up some egg, threw some cheese in there and a flour tortilla. So we had like breakfast tacos yesterday, homemade, and they were delicious. That is delicious. But this morning I made homemade biscuits and gravy. Also delicious. Yeah. So just cooking up a storm. Um, yeah, thank you, Jim John, for our theme. We haven't thanked you in a long time. Yeah. Nobody, nobody sponsors us. We just do this because we love it. We love it. Just throwing um, that out there. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to watch. Um, anything for Jackson. Anything for Jackson and maybe Possessor. And uh, we'll come back at you next time. All right. Stay safe, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. See ya. <laughs>